Today I'm here to speak about a fascinating theory that a French essayist named Roland Barthes put forth in 1980 about art's impact on the viewer. And how it became meaningful to me after half watching hundreds of old movies on Turner Classic Movies while I worked from home as a freelance designer in Brooklyn. In this episode, I'll consider Stanley Kubrick's choice of music, Ingrid Bergman's boxing lessons, a French man's poignant quest to find a photo of his mom that captured her essence, and the closed loop of magic that encircles a work of art and its viewer, BRB. You are listening to Pep Talks for Artists, a podcast offering small words of encouragement to all those shuffling along the artist's road. I'm your host, Amy Toluda. Once when I was a freelance graphic designer working from home in Brooklyn, my desk was in a corner of our combination living room, kitchen, dining room, and was right next to the TV. I had cable, and while I worked, I would put on Turner Classic Movies because they didn't play commercials. And those of you who work from home know that the middle of the day commercials are the most depressing. Good morning. I'm Wilfred Brimley, and I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about diabetes. TCM showed black and white movies from the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s in an unending ribbon of celluloid, one right after the other. And after months of working like this, it began to amaze me how little the film stuck in my head. Like they just pleasantly wafted into one ear and floated out the other. There were two exceptions, though, that seemed to have the ability to stick. And they were Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey and The Bells of St. Mary starring Casablanca's Ingrid Bergman as a nun. It got me wondering, why those two? Why did they stick and not the others? The hundreds of others. It was always something I wondered about, until one day, a few years later, I was introduced to Roland Barthes' theory of the punctum. Or, more to the point, the punctum versus the studium. This theory is detailed in his 1980 book, Camera Lucida, and is written specifically to apply to photography. But if you stretch it a bit, it can have broader applications to all the arts. If you haven't yet read it, I'll give you a quick cliff note summary. Barthes invents a term called the studium to describe art that is fine, but easily forgettable. 
This is a type of work that is of general interest, producing an average effect, general enthusiasm, is understood, but is pat, inert. Now here comes the punctum to puncture the studium's effect. This effect shoots out of the work like an arrow and pierces the viewer. The punctum disturbs the cool expected effect of the studium. The image or works punctum is, quote, the accident which pricks me, but also bruises me, is poignant to me, end quote. In other words, the punctum is full of surprises, meaning, and connection. Versus the studium, which is, quote, of the order of liking, not of loving. It mobilizes a half-desire, a demi-volition. It is the same sort of vague, slippery, irresponsible interest one takes in the people, the entertainments, the books, the clothes, and finds all right, end quote. So let's pop back to TCM. In Bell's, Bergman's sister Mary is an unusual nun, to say the least. In one scene, she hilariously tries to teach a boy getting bullied to fight, using a boxing instruction booklet. She keeps bouncing around in her black robes and veil, encouraging him to try and hit her, all the while chiding him for his lack of footwork. He eventually socks her one, in the face, and she flops down in a chair in shock, laughing and critiquing her own technique. I'm sorry, sister. No, that's all right. It's enough for the first lesson, though. You forgot your footwork. You forgot something, didn't you? <laughs> something? <laughs> I forgot everything. I forgot a bob, I forgot the weave. I had my mouth open. right into the payoff. <laughs> the whole scene was just so unexpected, but also poignant, super funny, and fresh. The boxing nun was definitely what pierced me. And then, moving on to 2001, A Space Odyssey, we can see the punctum at work with help from a review of the film by critic Roger Ebert. He writes, quote, The film creates its effects essentially out of visuals and music. It's meditative. It does not cater to us, but wants to inspire us, enlarge us, and inhabit our imaginations. End quote. A.K.A. punctumatize us. He tells of the premiere of the film and that many people, including Rock Hudson, stormed out, completely bemused. Rock stomped up the aisle saying, Will someone tell me what the hell this is all about? Ebert also mentions that director Kubrick commissioned Alex North to compose a score for the film, but in the meantime slotted in some Strauss classical music tracks as placeholders. The eventual North arrangements were typical scores made to manipulate the viewer's experience of the movie and, quote, underline the action. But Kubrick ultimately decided to keep the classical music 
because it surprisingly worked so well. was a brave decision to allow accident and openness into a film that would have been shut down in the viewer's mind and imagination by more expected music. The music is slow-paced and eerie, yet familiar. It follows its own path parallel to the action. The audience is allowed room to feel and interpret the unusual pairing and contemplate the new meaning made by the spaces in between the two. But just like we saw with Rock Hudson's exit bound tantrum, not everything moves everyone in the same way. The punctum can be deeply personal. To illustrate this, Barth describes the punctum he discovered looking through images of his recently deceased mother in her left-behind photos. He stumbles upon a photo of her as a child that, to him, contains her essence more than the others. Quote, There I was, alone in the apartment where she had died, looking at these pictures of my mother, one by one, under the lamp gradually moving back in time with her, looking for the truth of the face I had loved. And I found it. The photograph was very old. The corners were blunted from having been pasted into an album. The sepia had faded, and the picture just managed to show two children standing together at the end of a little wooden bridge. In a glassed-in conservatory, called a winter garden in those days. My mother was five at the time, 1898, her brother seven. He continues, quote, I studied the little girl and at last rediscovered my mother. This winter garden photograph was for me like the last music Schumann wrote before collapsing. That first Gersanger de Frühe or Songs of the Morning, which accords with both my mother's being and my grief at her death. It achieved for me, utopically, the impossible science of the unique being." End quote. But he says that he will never show us this photo. Quote, I cannot reproduce the Winter Garden photograph. It exists only for me. For you, it would be nothing but an indifferent picture one of the thousand manifestations of the ordinary. At most, it would interest your studium. Period, clothes, photography, but in it, for you, no wound. Different punctums for different folks, I guess. Everyone's experience, and therefore experience of the punctum, is different. We are all pricked by things we personally find resonant or astonishing that encourage us to linger, to find magic. So when we next see an exhibition, we might take a moment to consider which works we remember 
Which ones get caught in our brain wrinkles and don't immediately float away? These works have punctum. We can also think of it this way. The punctum is the result of two things meeting, the work and the viewer's eyeball. The piece is not complete until it is experienced by another. And when the punctum gauge is high, we connect and add to the work with ourselves. We bring all of our personal reactions to it and allow it to bloom beyond the wall or floor into our own psyches. So that takes care of identifying it in other work. But how do we go about transcending the forgettably pleasant in making our own work? Barr says we can't really control it or insert it forcibly. But I think we can encourage the seeds of the punctum to germinate. By allowing openness, unpredictability, and surprise into our process of making. In other words, a work that surprises its maker has a chance of surprising its audience. We can't architect it into everything we create, but we can make sure the conditions are right. The punctum is beyond language and culture, almost like a timeless, countryless soul that communicates to another person through time and space, through an unfiltered image. It holds a little surprise, a challenge to expectations, a.k.a., quote, a kind of subtle beyond. Sometimes we'll see another artist out there, and they'll annoy us. I know people all say not to compare and despair yourself to others, but come on, we all get weak and do it sometimes. Maybe they're working in a similar type of vein, and they're making extremely attractive works, one right after the other, and showing it everywhere. But before we let Envy backflip in, let's consider that work. Does it have punctum? If not, don't despair or compare. It's just a pleasant-to-look-at, expected, unpricking studium parade. And not worth our green eye beams. Online, too, we are bombarded with endless pleasing images of artworks. But which ones do you really, truly remember the next day, or care to bookmark? Very few. The punctum is rare. And the nice thing about when we do find punctum-infused, piercing work, is that it feels inspiring to know it. Rather than envying it, we root for the punctum, because we all want it to succeed and be out there, pricking everyone it can. Its success is art's success. When weirdness wins, we all win. Because then the golden trophy at the end of everything is a new glimpse into a startlingly eccentric human soul. English writer Graham Greene was quoted as having said, quote, When we are not sure, we are alive. End quote. So in that spirit of unsureness, let's leave in the glitches and strange accidents and unusual inspirations. And let's let our work veer here and there, questing for new ways to express itself, yet remain undefinable. And remember, don't sweat the studiums.
you've been listening to Pep Talks for Artists. If you'd like to connect with the podcast on Instagram, please find it at Pep Talks for Artists. I really appreciate you stopping by, and I'll see you next time. Special thanks to P. Elaine Sharp for their contributions to this episode.